And good afternoon, St. Louis. This is Paul Kurtman on the Paul Kurtman Show here at News Talk STL. You know, every single week I play Libs of TikTok. We have our own Libs of TikTok segment, and uh, we're going to play it again. And I can't tell you how disturbing it is that every time I go to Libs of TikTok to find a good clip to play on the show, it is almost always something dealing with the far, far left encroaching deeper into the lives of parents and the ownership of parents over their own children and using school districts as a means of making that happen. They're using they're using these government schools as a vehicle to indoctrinate students against the will of the parents and in many cases uh, doing it secretly, like making a, a direct effort to uh, indoctrinate or push different social agendas in private, in secret, outside of the parents. But this week... There's some stuff going on in Jefferson City that I want to talk about. So anybody that knows me probably knows that for about four years uh, in Jefferson City, the last four years that I was in office, um, I had been uh, introducing legislation to make it legal to grow industrial hemp in the state. It had been illegal to grow industrial hemp. Industrial hemp is is not a marijuana or cannabis plant that you can get high on. I used to joke around, like, you can try to smoke it if you want, but you're just going to have a bad headache and be like trying to get high off of smoking cardboard or something. So it'll probably smell real bad and it'll give you a headache and it won't be a good experience. But in the worst case of mistaken identity, whenever the federal government made marijuana illegal, they also rolled industrial hemp right into their definition of marijuana and cannabis plants that they wanted to make illegal. And so all the rope making, all the different industry that we used to have and and textiles that we used to get from industrial hemp, all of a sudden it all became illegal. And what it was, this is what I had heard and actually came up in testimony when we were talking about this issue in Jefferson City during the committee process, the DuPont family, right about the same time, had found a way to make synthetic fibers. And so right about the same time that the DuPont family had been introducing nylon and nylon rope and nylon textiles was right about the same time that it became illegal nationwide to grow industrial hemp. And so this is something called regulatory capture. And that is when uh, a big business lobbies the government. They have this seemingly very noble cause. Hey, we need to make industrial hemp. We need to make cannabis, marijuana. Anything that has to do with that plant needs to be illegal because it's bad for society. And it sounds really noble until you realize that by doing this, and remember the phrase is regulatory capture, the DuPonts actually helped get rid of all their competitors, all the rope makers, all the fiber makers, everybody who is using industrial hemp in the textile or in manufacturing, suddenly all that became illegal, thus opening up the market for the DuPont family to be able to come in and just capture it up and use it you know, to generate their own profits. In Missouri right now, we have something very similar that seems to be happening. I haven't talked to him about this yet. I'd like to get him on the show. Uh, but... Uh, uh, representative, State Representative Ron Hicks from Defiance is introducing a bill called the Cannabis Freedom Act. Now, what's happening right now is in this act, you would have to have a business license, the, probably the Department of Agriculture, Department of Economic Development. Somebody would have to get you a special license to sell cannabis. So that's all part of his bill. But the St. Louis Post-Dispatch is reporting that their lobbying effort is really swooping in. And they're trying to get Representative Hicks to place a cap on the amount of business licenses 
that are going to be distributed for people who want to sell cannabis products. Now, you would think that it might be somebody on the conservative right who is just against legalizing cannabis at all. You'd think that they're the ones that are swooping in, trying to lobby to get this legislation changed because they don't want people in Missouri having access to cannabis products. But you would be wrong. The people that are coming in to lobby Representative Representative Hicks to put a cap on the amount of businesses allowed to actually sell these products is actually one of the largest sellers or distributors of cannabis products, I think, in America. I have to do a little bit more research on this and talk to Representative Hicks about it. But what we see happening right now is we see Representative Hicks experiencing exactly what industrial hemp makers experienced 60, 70, 80 years ago. The people that are lobbying Representative Hicks right now to try to get him to put a cap on the amount of businesses that are allowed to sell these products are the people that are big enough. It's the businesses that are already sell this stuff, but they're big enough that they can come in and afford to get all the permits and push out anybody else who wants to break into this industry, anybody else who wants to have any type of economic mobility and find their way into this industry. So we see the exact same thing happening. It's called regulatory capture when you have the... Uh, special interests lobbying the government saying, we don't think it's a good idea for everybody to be able to have access to these business licenses, or here's another one. We think it's a good idea uh, for you to regulate us, government. We need the government to regulate us because there are problems in our industry and we need the regulation. But what that is, is that is businesses lobbying the government for more government control to create hoops that they can jump through, but are much more costly and expensive for smaller businesses to jump through because that's how they push out all their competition and that way they can capture the market. So I'm hopeful that we can get Representative Hicks on. Maybe we can get him on next week. Uh, Next week, I hope to have a good friend of mine, my former chief of staff from Jefferson City, Ryan Clearwater, join me on the program for the hour. I think he's going to make the trip into St. Louis and join me on the program for the hour. But this is one of the things that's happening in Jefferson City right now. It's a struggle for freedom. And we have lobbyists right now, special interests, advocating an, an, an opportunity, an opportunity for more people to have more economic um, involvement, more economic opportunity. And we have special interests lobbying against that in hopes that they can be the ones to have all the economic opportunity and not the people of Missouri. So that's one of those legislative fights that's happening right now in the state of Missouri. And I would uh, reach out to Representative Hicks. Hopefully next week we can get on the program and talk a little bit more about this. But the St. Louis Post had an article. If you go to paulkirtman.com and you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see number 42. Number 42 has all the show notes for today. But that's what we're dealing with, and it's just a constant struggle for freedom. And we see something else happening, another issue, struggle for freedom. It's not just in the legislative branch. It's also in the judicial branch. I'm going to play a clip here, and then I'm going to bring my dad into this conversation to talk a little bit about the justice system and uh, what's happening in the Supreme Court right now. But Ketanji Brown Jackson had some uh, Senate confirmation hearings this week, and uh, Senator Cruz... Senator Cruz asked her some very pointed questions about things like critical race theory and where she stands on uh, pedophilia and the sentences that she's introduced to people in the past. And she's not being honest with the Senate committee. Some of her positions on these issues are very alarming. And I tell you what, to have somebody like this go to the highest court in the land with these types of issues, these types of positions on these issues, that's gonna, it's going to set a whole new level of precedent for uh, – 
um, for the justice system all across the country uh, going out into the as much into the future as you can think. So here's this clip. I'm going to play this clip and then uh, we'll get some thoughts on this. Stand by. I'm going to play that clip in just <laughs> one second. See, this it's is what happens. Time. This is what happens. No, it's not the first time that I've ever done this. It is the it is the first time that I ever pressed play and uh, had a problem with uh, my computer not wanting to play. Because something was plugged go. in. Here we go. Here we go. I finally got there. I finally got there, Leah. See, normally, here's a pe- uh, a peek behind the curtain. Here, normally producers would play this stuff, but I've always. Like doing it myself because it gives me an element of control. And what you all just experienced was me losing control. Here we go. Here we go. Scheduled to conclude on Thursday. Here now with Morris, Texas Senator uh, Ted Cruz is with us. Senator, I want to start with this. She wrote once that every judge has a personal hidden agenda. And when I heard that, I'm thinking, um, what is what is her what is her hidden agenda? We ever get an answer on that? Well, no. And and when it came to critical race theory, she didn't want to answer the question. She she claimed she didn't really know what it was or what it contained. Of course, she had previously given a speech at a law school where she said that sentencing, what judges do, uh, involves critical race theory. And 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 I got to say, there was a lot of discussion about her record when it concerns sexual offenders and in particular sexual predators targeted at kids as as you just played i asked her about what she wrote in law school that 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 suggested that the laws that many states have passed providing for civil commitment for violent sexual predators that those laws are unconstitutional and and you know we went through every single case that she's presided over as a district judge uh, where the defendant was convicted of possession of child pornography. Every case that she had discretion in, she consistently sentenced the defendant to substantially below the sentencing guidelines and substantially below what the prosecutor asked for over and over and over again. She averaged sentencing them 48% less than the prosecutor asked for, and that was in 100% of the cases where she had discretion, where there wasn't a plea agreement or a mandatory minimum sentence. So here we have Senator Cruz talking a little bit about the exchange that he had with uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. And what we've discovered here, now this is incredibly disturbing. We've discovered that in 100, according to, according to Senator Cruz, in 100% of the cases where she had to sentence a sexual predator, specifically pedophiles, people that preyed on small children, she always gave them a sentence that was below the legislative recommendation. So, for example, if you have lawmakers that say, hey, listen, we, what, here's the, here's the sentence, uh, guidelines that we have for somebody who's molested or, um, harmed a child. Katanji Brown Jackson, what she would do is she would give them a sentence even below that. And there was one case. This is really disturbing. Leah, tell me if you can imagine this actually happening. Dad, tell me if you can imagine this actually happening. She sentenced a child predator, someone who had committed a crime against a child. Right. So the worst of the worst human being here. She sentenced him to three months. There was a maximum opportunity to sentence this guy to 10 years in prison. She sentenced him to three months in jail. And while she was sentencing him to three months, she apologized to him that she was sentencing him at all. Is this just not unbelievable that this is the kind of person right now who has such a warped view of justice that this is the kind of person that we have actually been 
considered for a seat on the highest court in the land. What are your thoughts on that, Dad? I agree entirely. It's <laughs> what else is there to say? When you when you listen to her and and you hear for for one thing, and this is this is not making a a judgment. It's just <laughs> repeating a a fact, calling attention to to a fact, her own statement. She's already shown herself to be a liar and a critical race issue, mm-hmm. and on everything else, just to be a totally uh, you know in a position of of uh, the immoral and the incredulous and irresponsible and pardon the alliteration but this is where we are in america that a person like this would even be considered as a candidate for the supreme court 50 years ago people would have have blown their minds not today especially when you just mentioned critical race theory senator cruz asked her very pointedly what her position was on critical race theory and she says i don't know what that is it's not in this clip, but she actually said during the consent confirmation, I'm not sure I know what that is. I don't know what that is. And then uh, Senator Cruz told her, well, you just gave a speech where you were talking about the importance of using critical race theory in the judicial process. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we come back after this next break. And in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically, uh, since my dad is a Uh, a retired pastor of 50 years should christians be involved should churches be involved in the political process a lot of christians they have a there's like a wide disagreement on this so we'll see if we can talk to a, a former pastor here and get his thoughts on that issue right here at news talk stl we'll be back here in just a couple minutes on the paul kirtman show and we're back on the paul kirtman show here at news talk stl in the studio today with uh, Leah on the board and special guest today, first time guest, uh, Charles Kurtman, my father, uh, who retired from full-time pastorate just a, a few years ago, but still is very much involved in the ministry and preaching and speaking at conferences and churches all across the country. So the reason I wanted to bring him in today is because on Monday down in Springfield, there's going to be a meeting. Uh, of pastors, and they're going to be talking a little bit about uh, their role in government. Should churches and should Christians be involved in uh, in politicking or in campaigning or getting involved on the issues or where candidates are concerned? And so this is a this is a really important topic because back in the 1960s, Lyndon Baines Johnson actually helped um, uh, change the law when he was the president. And he was the one that got the IRS to change the rule, uh, saying that if you're a 501c3 or if you're organized as tax exempt, then you should not have any role in politics or campaigns. Now, there's a, a lot of people that say that that's unlawful. There's a lot of uh, uh, churches that are still involved in, in, you know, a church. You would agree with me, Dad. The Bible says preach the whole counsel of God, and that would include uh, the politics of the day and the issues that we're faced with all the time. But there are. Uh, articles. I was looking around at different articles online, and I came across one article. I don't know the author, uh, but if you want to find the link and actually go look at the article, you can go to paulkirtman.com, scroll down to number 42, click on that link, and all the links that I have, the show prep, everything is right there at paulkirtman.com. But this guy's making a lot of arguments that I've heard people make uh, throughout my time in politics. Whenever I was elected, it was really hard to get Christian people to be engaged in uh, the stewardship of their country. And some people just have, uh, there, there's a, a wide range of where people fall in on this. Some people say churches shouldn't talk about political issues, but yes, Christians should absolutely be involved. But then this guy goes even further. This guy goes all the way into the 
all the way down to saying Christians should not even vote. And this is the name of this website is Believers Magazine. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know anything about it, but I'm using this article because I've heard these talking points before. So have you ever had to contend throughout your ministry with Christians saying, I don't want to get involved in politics? Um, and, and what is the, what would you say to that as a pastor who has been involved? What would you say to somebody who says Christians shouldn't be involved? I don't think we should vote. I just think that we ought to uh, take a hands off approach. God's in control. What do you, what have you said to people, um, from the side that, that says no Christian should absolutely be involved. Churches should absolutely, absolutely be engaged in the political process and be informed on the issues. Well, to answer your to answer your first question, I I run across that all the time uh, through the years, week after week, with people that are on both sides of that issue in the ministry, and uh, you know, good people, and but. But my position is, and I think this is the correct position, is that there's no biblical substantiation for the argument that Christians should have a complete hands-off policy. And speaking of hands, um, when I, I was talking to a pastor just the other day, and he was taking the position with the way things are in the world and uh, taking that 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 negative position about Christians having anything to do with politics or preachers speaking, referencing anything regarding politics. Uh, we are not to let the the government dictate what we say or don't say. Uh, there's no biblical uh Anyone that tries to take a biblical position for Christians not having anything to do with politics has a very weak argument and an easily demolished argument on the basis of the Bible and on the basis of common sense. And those two things are just as synonymous as anything could be. Uh, Christians... Christians have a responsibility, a biblical responsibility, as you said, to preach the whole counsel of God and to address these issues. I mean, it's just completely incomprehensible to think that a Christian shouldn't get involved and speak up where things like abortion are concerned, uh, which is clearly spoken against in the Bible, of um, things that have to do with immorality of any sort, especially the gross immorality that's going on right now. Now, the ownership of children, parenthood versus the government control, all of those things are biblical issues. You could write, you could speak, you could discuss this for hours from the Bible. So this is right where Christians need to assume their responsibility, but they need to keep it all in balance. Like everything else in life, that balance has to be maintained. Do you, do you think that – Do you so the, there are people – that in in churches who think that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. And of course, there's a lot of people outside of churches, people that never go to church, people that don't like Christians or religion of any kind. And uh, they, most of them, many of them would probably also say, yeah, we don't want you guys involved. We don't want Christians involved. Is there anything that Christians, and this is kind of a different question, but have Christians ever, is there anything that where Christian people can go too far, maybe on behalf of their faith or on behalf of their church, where the government's concerned, is it is it possible for Christians to be involved in government in a way that's that uh, um, they should not be taking the mantle of Christianhood with them to represent Christianity? Oh yeah, I think so. I think that's what I meant when I said people have to make sure that they're lined up with the Scripture 
and that they stay in balance, that they don't get out outside the banks uh, in in taking their positions because they can get into the area where emotions take over, emotions take control. And the main thing about about a Christian's involvement in politics or anything else on the in this in the, in the social life or whatever is that they continue to be Christians. The Bible says speak the truth, but here's the qualifier. And this is directly from the Bible. Speak the truth in love. The Bible says be valiant for truth. We have a responsibility to be valiant, be passionate about truth. But at the same time, the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And the truth is what's in, involved here in all of these issues. We have to t- contend for the truth no matter what is involved. That's a, we, we are the salt and the light. We're to be the salt and the light of the world. We, we are God's representatives on earth to get the truth out there and it's the john chapter 8 verse 32 jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free but that's why it's so important to present the truth uh, thoroughly but also with uh, with compassion and balance and, and maintaining a good christian testimony and i i think that uh, one of the things that i said in the previous segment was churches are the most organized groups of people probably in America. Um, I'll tell you a little story. I was involved with a piece of legislation that would have lifted the licensure requirement for beauticians and showed up for the committee meeting and the beauticians had come out of the woodwork. They they are more organized than any labor union. They don't have any specific organization, but because they were all involved in this issue, it touched them personally. Uh, I've We had to move the committee meeting location on two occasions because the, there's just too many people. We couldn't accommodate all the people. They were just so organized just because the issue spoke to them, not because they actually have an organizational structure. But churches, on the other hand, kind of seem to have both. They We have people that show up because they believe in something that prompts them every day or every week or however often, you know, people of any faith at all, uh, they're involved in a, a body of sorts, you know, whether it's a church or even a synagogue or something like that. Uh, but so they believe in something, but they are also very organized. And it seems to me that uh, President Johnson, maybe the case, and I, I'm not a historian on this issue. I don't know this issue. I don't know all the history of it, but I know that he specifically was wanting to target churches to prevent churches from speaking out against him and his administration and his policies. But if churches were involved politically, if they suddenly all decided, no, we're going to be involved that would be a game changer for yes. the country. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no there's no other organization, uh, as you put it, in the country like churches. There's no pl- no place that has an audience uh, where where a, a preacher, for example, a speaker has an audience between it might be ten people or it might be ten thousand people uh, three times a week to address. There's there's just nothing like it. So the power, the organizational ability, the power to get the truth out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing that compares with with uh, the church and and the ministers of the gospel to and, proclaim truth. And with the advent of social media, mm-hmm. one of the things you know, you have celebrities in Hollywood that are very outspoken on political issues. Go out and vote. Vote this way. Vote for this candidate. Um, you have uh, celebrities. In the sports industry, mm-hmm. well, you also have some of these 
I, I like to refer to them as religious influencers. You know, they are social media influencers, but they're the pastor of a church or uh, they're a Christian singer or something. But some of these churches have not just the mega churches that have tens of thousands of members, or at least that they say they do, uh, but they have, they might have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers following a church website or following a church social media account. And I, th- I think that, uh, if if they felt free to actually talk about the issues, but with the thing that's making people stop short of getting involved, a lot of them say, and this is from my experience, having been in office, wanting to talk to pastors and different people in my district, they don't want to get involved because they think, A, uh, Christians just shouldn't be involved. But there's a flip side to this. This Johnson Amendment says that if churches get involved, then they could lose their tax-exempt status. And there's people that will say, well, churches shouldn't be tax-exempt anyway. I'll just tell you right now, my position is this. Anything in the Bill of Rights should not be taxed. Supreme Court said one of the very first, one of the earliest rulings is that the power to tax is the power to destroy. Mm -hmm. We should not have our freedoms taxed. I have a problem with that. So I don't care what church or non-church you go to. There are people that have spoof churches because they're anti-religion, they're anti-Christian. I don't think any of that stuff should be taxed. If you believe something, if you're exercising your Bill of Rights, I don't think you should be taxed. But there are there are Christians that I think, pastors, any institution of faith, anybody who's organized as a tax-exempt organization, they're afraid to say anything because then they think that suddenly they're going to be on the hook for all kinds of taxes. Because right now, people will give money to a church to feed the community. They'll give money to a church to support missionaries. They'll give money to a church so, just so the church can keep its lights on and, and pay people on staff. But all that suddenly is in jeopardy if a ch- pastors might think if a church suddenly gets involved and says anything about a candidate or a political party because they're afraid somebody might come after them and now they're going to be a, a taxable yeah, that, that's all basically and documentedly bogus because the IRS has never come at maybe maybe a handful of churches to no avail, uh, but they've never come after churches and caused them to lose their tax-exempt status over speaking out against these issues. Uh, church really has to abuse their position to have, have that happen, but it's it's hardly Almost, it's almost non-existent that the IRS, since the Johnson Act that you were talking about, where Johnson did that in Texas just to keep himself in in office, That's, that was his whole motivation, and he, they even recognized after that it was a big mistake. But every year since then, hundreds of hundreds of passed. Now it's probably thousands every year on the anniversary of that uh, legislation. Pastors send in tapes where they've. Per- Purposefully spoken out on political issues, send them straight to the IRS uh, to let them hear their message, and not one of them has ever been followed up on by the IRS. So that that's all just a straw man. I have I have heard of churches having done that uh, before, and I think that the, I have said on this program before. There's no bigger bully than the bully that signs your paycheck, and the IRS is also that bully because they have direct access to our paychecks, and so the IRS wields a lot of power here, and it's kind of it's kind of um, disconcerting a little bit that people that and, and I'm just saying this as a, a blanket statement here that people who believe something so much would be willing to not would be willing to uh, take a hands off approach to what they say they actually believe because they're afraid that they might have to pay taxes. Yeah, here and that you're exactly right about that. You mentioned social media earlier. Think think about what a colossal 
platform that is to get the truth of the gospel out, to get the truth on all of these area out, areas out from a biblical perspective, which is the truth. Mm-hmm. And the, the opportunity social media presents, and yet there are – I know so many pastors that they're not going to touch uh, – they're not going to touch any of these issues if – if they, uh, some of them think it's a virtue, and that's fine. That may, you know, but they don't want to be on Facebook or anything like that. Personally, I detest Facebook. I detest the powers behind it, what it's all about. But I'm going to use that media to get the truth out. I'm not going to snapshot pictures of my bacon and eggs in the morning and send it to people or my my dog eating its latest treat, putting that on. But pastors have a responsibility to do everything they can with what everything they have, where they are, while they can do it to get the truth out. And there's nothing that can compare to social media for that as a platform. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just think that uh, these issues are important. If churches understood really how much power they have, mm-hmm. there'd be a lot more opportunity for them. Of course, the goal for everybody, whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or an atheist, the, the whole point of American government is to keep people free. And so that's a big part of this is people need to feel free to speak out on the issues, especially since it's protected in our Bill of Rights. And we're going to come back here in just a couple minutes for our third and final segment, Libs of TikTok. Make sure you go to paulacurman.com, scroll to the bottom, number 42, right here at News Talk STL. We will be right back. And welcome back to the Paul Kerman Show here at News Talk STL. I've had my dad in here for this uh, show today, talking a little bit about some issues related to churches being involved in politics. Should they do it? What's the perspective of different people on both sides of that argument? Uh, this uh, Monday down in Springfield, there's uh, some churches getting together just to kind of talk a little bit about this issue. I thought it was worth talking about today. And um, I think that we're going to see this continuing to be a much bigger discussion and debate as time marches on because uh, we see wokeism creeping in everywhere. We see it in the corporate community. We've seen it in the education system. And we're absolutely seeing it in uh, different churches and synagogues. Um, and parishes all across America, and I think the more we see these issues, we're going to see we're going to see people on all sides of the issue of whether or not institutions of faith should be involved in politics. My personal feeling is that they absolutely should. I think anybody should be involved in politics. If you're a citizen, you should never be locked out of political discourse for any reason. Mm-hmm. That's just the way I feel about it. The whole point of American government is to keep people free. First country in the history of the world where people were dying to keep other people on their street and in their state and in their country free, you know, not under the subjection of a king. And it's kings that normally tell people what they can and can't say. I just don't like the idea of a government telling anybody, whether they're a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, or an atheist, no, you're not allowed to have a, have an opinion on the issues facing our government today. Right. I just like the idea of freedom. I just like the idea of freedom, and I don't like the idea of weaponizing the IRS against people in order to keep their mouths shut on issues that directly affect things like the IRS, among yeah. other institutions of government. But we're gonna probably going to wind up talking a lot more about this also as time marches on, and also probably the closer that we get to uh, the elections coming up later this year. We are in the midterms. But here's another issue. This is this is such a this has become an increasingly large pet peeve of mine. It's prompting me to maybe want to run for school board someday, uh, just so I can take the things that I've said from behind this microphone to a school board meeting and uh, actually, you know, have an opportunity to affect some kind of change. 
School districts. School districts also don't like it when parents show up to talk about the school districts. School districts, they want people's tax, they want taxpayer money. They just don't want taxpayer accountability. And that's why if a parent shows up at a school board, the school board will say, we are a private meeting, but we are open to the public. Therefore, we can limit how much time you can speak. And so a parent will get up to speak and they're faced with a clock right in front of them that counts down from two minutes. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. You send your kids. The laws require you to send your kids to school. So you send your kids to school, to the government school that you're already paying taxes to. You send your kids to this school for nine months out of the year. You show up to one school board meeting, they'll let you speak for two minutes. I'm, I tell you what, we'll know which school board members are on the side of the parents when they get rid of these stupid two and three minute rules. In Jefferson City, when I was a state legislator, we also uh, are, we had, we'd have our legislative committees, and those are private meetings, open to the public, sunshine laws, a lot of the same laws apply. We have to inform the public before we have our committee meetings. But we would, unless we were so crowded with people that wanted to testify or speak, we would never, it would never cross our minds to limit somebody and say, you can only speak for two minutes unless we only had 30 minutes in the room and we had maybe 30 people that wanted to speak. We might do it then. But that's the problem that we're facing in school districts. And we were talking a few minutes ago about churches being the most organized. Schools are way more organized than even churches. And who's in charge of the schools? The far, far left. And are they being quiet on political issues? Nope. Nope. They're some of the worst offenders in terms of making sure that they can indoctrinate people. In fact, they do a much better job of it than most pastors. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what you said about running for school board, you know, all my kids are grown, obviously. Got 19 grandchildren. Just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, but I've actually thought about running for the school board. And people will say, well, you don't you don't even have children in schools or you're you're you're. Uh, you know, you send your kids to a Christian school. You have no business being on a school board. I'm an American citizen. All of these children are, go are, are going to be active American citizens, and they do not need to be indoctrinated in leftism and wokeism and all of the things about destroying this country and making it bad for me, my family, and posterity. And so I have a direct personal interest mm -hmm. and investment in what's going on in these schools. And that's how everybody should feel about it. Because mm -hmm. we're talking about the school, the stewardship of our nation. And, you know, we have our federal government, the state government, and all the cities and municipalities, all these political subdivisions. If you live in it, if you pay taxes into it, if you have the opportunity to vote for a school board member, then you absolutely have an, an opportunity if you want to run. Here's how bad it's getting. Uh, we have talked before about this, this case um, in California and in Florida where uh, school counselors are taking children and counseling them, trying to convert them to and convince them that they're really transgendered. Um, if you go to paulkirtman.com, scroll down to radio number 42, you're going to see a video. They're flaunting this on social media. These kindergarten teachers are flaunting this on social media. There's a kindergarten teacher who actually took her kindergarten class outside to march around the block and have their own little pride parade. Kindergartners. We have teachers teaching kids as, long, as young as three years old, giving them a rainbow flag and marching them out in the street. And so you send your kids to these government schools and you don't know what's happening. You will find out what's happening when you actually provide some accountability to the school board and start getting on the school board and start allowing parents to actually bring that accountability there for longer than just two minutes at a time, two minutes once a month. 
is all they get if mm-hmm. the parent wants to say anything. So here's the teacher. I'm going to play a clip from a teacher right now. And this is really this is really creepy. I mean, you want to talk about a creep? This is really creepy. Here we have a teacher. This is a, a a woman. It looks like she identifies as a man. I don't know. Maybe they or them or whatever she wants her pronouns to be. But she's making a video and posting it online about an exchange that she had with one of the students at her school. And what she talks about is how euphoric, how gender euphoric, basically flirting with a student can be. So let's go ahead and play this clip. It's about 50 seconds long. So there's definitely a different gender euphoria that comes with getting clocked by like queer youth. Um, there was this kid that walked by my workspace today and um, I hadn't met them before, uh, but uh, we just uh, started talking and they were like, I, I think I really like you. And I was like, oh, thanks. Um, I'm glad I make a good first impression. I hadn't gotten their name yet, so I asked and then they asked my name. I said my name is Parker and then they look at me and they're like uh can I get your pronouns <laughs> just got me right away and I had my pronouns up on a whiteboard behind me so I point at it and they were like oh okay and just so like clearly so excited and so I asked back and I'm like okay what about yours and and they're and they were like oh any any and I, and I said okay so this is a teacher going online to make a video about these types of exchanges with their students. And it's not just, hey, I had a conversation with a student. No, no, no. This is a conversation to talk about how gender euphoric it can be. How gender euphoric it can be. It's a video. So if you go to Libs of TikTok, uh, Libs of TikTok actually writes, this is an adult who works with kids explaining getting gender euphoric from flirting with queer youth. And here's the thing. I like Libs of TikTok. And when I first started doing this segment every single week, I was really expecting to be doing segments from Libs of TikTok that covered a whole bunch of issues. You would be astounded to realize how many teachers in public schools and government schools are posting these kind of videos about these interactions they're having with their students as young as four years old. And in some cases, these teachers are posting videos, selfies of them coming out to their students who are four and five years old. I have one video at paulkirtman.com that talks that shows a teacher who's actually come out to their students, then goes home and cries, makes another little video and said, I've waited for so long to do this. I've been so worried about being judged, mainly from the parents. I've been afraid to come out to the students because I've been afraid of their parents. But finally, I just decided, no, forget about the parents. This isn't about the parents. This is about something bigger than the parents. This is something. This is about rescuing these children from... And then there's a, a, a clip we played a few weeks back where a teacher in Arizona is telling the six-year-old, not six-year-old, sixth graders, um, there are things that your parents are teaching you that might be wrong, such as that there's only boys and girls. Mm-hmm. That's a line that we're going to... Well, eventually we're going to do away with that line. What other kind of things do your parents tell you that's wrong? This is teachers in government schools. And folks, if you think this is not happening in your school with teachers teaching your kids, you are very likely wrong. You think everything's okay because your kids don't come back every afternoon and tell you everything teachers told them. There are things going on in these schools that you need to be aware of and find out about. And it hopefully will prompt you to get involved in your government at one of the most basic local levels that has the biggest impact on our country and on our people, and that is at the school board. Yeah, exactly. So 
Listen, go to paulkirpin.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, radio number 42, and then that's where you're going to see all of these videos. And I tell you what, this is why, you know, Dad, this is why a lot of people are opting to send their kids to private and Christian schools. Yep. I, I talked to a guy just last week who helped start a Christian school because the demand is there. People are wanting to get out of these public schools for their kids. Yep, and the question has to come up, what is wrong with parents that allow that to happen and 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 answer and and to address what you said about you know i was i was uh, the fear of the parents well teachers ought to be afraid of parents they ought to have respect for the parents and parents need to assume the responsibility to to protect their children she's talking about the euphoria that she experiences and what she's doing and so on. That's the same kind of euphoria that someone in a, in a, has in a, watching a pornographic movie. It's the same kind of euphoria that Nero and Caligula had as they watched people being brutalized and killed. I mean, this is crazy. So parents have got to be involved in their school districts. Have to do it, folks. Hey, this is Paul Kerbin here at the Paul Kerbin Show. Join me next week. I hope to have my good friend Ryan Clearwater here at News Talk STL. And we'll see you again next week.